Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm pastor here at LifePoint, located in Plano, Texas, and we meet here every Sunday at 1030, and we are here for your family. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, how exciting is that? Four, six people getting baptized today, going from death to life and going public with their faith. It just never gets old, does it, to see people make that decision and to see God move in their life. And I'm just celebrating that. I know you are too. And we're just asking God, would you continue to do more? Would you continue drawing people to yourself? And so more and more people give their life to our wonderful God. What a great way to have a service. I mean, that's all we need to do is witness that and witness that every week. I would love that. Hey, I just want to also let you know that we, as we go through this book of Acts that we've been going through together, one of the things you see over and over again is how much prayer is mentioned in the book of Acts. In fact, it's mentioned 32 different times throughout the book of Acts. And so as we're thinking about that, as we're praying for God to move amongst us, in us, through us, into our county, into our world, we decided, well, why don't we just invite people to pray together at a specific time each week? So a week from Wednesday, I just want to put this on your calendar. We'll talk more about it next Sunday. At 1230, we want to invite you to come. You can come here and pray with us in the Connection Center, or you can just set your alarm. You may be working or have other commitments, and you can just pray with us so we're praying at the same time, or we pray for our community, we pray for our church, we pray for each other, and we pray to the ends of the earth. And so we're going to do it through the end of the series, so it'll be seven Wednesdays together, beginning a week from Wednesday, October the 6th at 1230. We'll talk more about it, but we just want to replicate what the early church did in practicing prayer together. All right, we got our memory verse. I want to say it, and then I'll ask you to stand, and we'll say it together. We introduced it last week, so it's brand new. I don't expect you to have it down yet. It's Acts 20, 24. I'll say it, and then I'll ask you to say it. Paul said, oh, you can go ahead and stand. You guys are ready to go. All right. Well, you committed. You don't get a warm-up. We're going to say it together then. I love it. You're excited. You just say, hey, man, this is not that long at all. I'm not intimidated. Good. So then let's say it together. It'll show up on the screen. Paul said, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task. You guys are awesome. Let's pray together. God. There are a lot of things we could do in this life, but Paul reminds us there is nothing greater than experiencing and sharing your grace. May that be the point of the spear for us. And God, today as we open your word, give us open eyes, give us an open heart to what you want us to hear and experience, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I wanna begin with a phrase that you know is true and it is simply this, that it is possible to be living without being fully alive. Some of us may be there today. We've certainly probably been there at some time. And we may be there again at some point where we feel like, well, I'm living, but I don't feel fully alive. Now, here's what happens when, as a child, right, we, we begin to have days and then weeks and months and eventually years. And, and as we look back now, we look and we see chapters of our life. And some of them are good. Some of them are not so good. And when we look back, all of a sudden, we see some of our parts of our story are difficult. And it almost feels like we sometimes get lost in our story. You ever feel that way? And sometimes your life even feels fragmented. 
sometimes the chapters of your story don't feel like they fit together. Ever felt like that? And it just feels like something is missing. But here's where it gets really complicated. Sometimes those of us who follow God and come to church and and are participating in faith activities, we're going along and all of a sudden we feel the exact same way and it feels like something's just missing. What do you do when you feel like you're doing all you're supposed to do and you still feel like something's missing? That's exactly what Paul is going to talk about today. And he's not talking to just any group of people. He's talking to the group of people who were typically at church. The people who were practicing faith activities. He's talking to people like me and you. And he goes and he says, now when you are practicing these faith activities and you still feel like something's missing, he gives an answer. And I hope if you feel that way today, whether this is your first time or if you've been coming for a long time, that Paul's words will be an encouragement to you today. So if you've got your Bibles, I hope you open them with me to Acts chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible, there's one there in the pew. You can grab it, look at the table of contents, find the book of Acts, turn to chapter 17 with us today. You may remember that last week we began the story of the Apostle Paul going on his second of three missionary trips. Now, if this is your first time with us today, we're super glad you're here. We're going through the book of Acts. It covers the first 30 years after Jesus rose from the dead. So it's the birth of the church. It's the birth of Christianity. And halfway through or two-thirds of the way through, this man named Paul goes on a missionary trip. And then he goes on a second trip. And that's where we are today in chapter 17. He's halfway through this second trip. And so we're going to continue to look at that journey. In fact, I want to give you a map so you can re-alienate yourself and get the perspective of Paul's missionary journey. Now, if you look over to the far right, you see Syria there and you see Antioch. This is where he starts, remember? And then he begins to go up through Galatia. And remember, he thought, we saw this last week, he thought he was going to go to Bithynia, remember? But all of a sudden, the doors closed and he went left and he just trusted, okay, this is God's providential will. I thought I was going somewhere I'm not. He goes, makes a hard left. He goes through ancient Asia all the way up to Macedonia. And we left off last week in Philippi. You see that horizontal or that vertical line going north and south. And it goes up to Philippi. If you remember last week, Paul was imprisoned with his teammate Silas. And they were in jail where they were beaten. And they were eventually miraculously freed with this crazy earthquake. Remember that? And that's where we left off. Here's what I want you to have a preview of today. We're going to look at through chapter 17 as he's going to go that red line down through what is modern day Greece and he's going to go all the way down to Athens if you see that on the map. And that's where we're going to see Paul give what many would describe as his most famous message ever. Peter's, you remember, was in Acts 3. Paul's is right here in Acts 13. It's going to take place toward the end of his journey there in Athens, often referred to as his message at Mars Hill. Now, I wanted to give you all that context so that as we begin today, it can help frame up what we're about to read where Paul addresses this crowd and says, I know you're practicing faith activities and yet something is still missing. Paul addresses it. With all that said, let's look at what Paul has to say in Acts chapter 17 and let's begin 
in verse one. When Paul and his companions had passed through, and these are the next two towns if you look to the left of Philippi. When he passed through the next two towns, Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, which should ring a bell if you're familiar with the Bible. You remember eventually he writes back to these people in Thessalonica, and he writes not one but two letters called First and Second Thessalonians. You actually have a copy of that toward the back of your Bible. This is where he first meets them establishes a church, and builds a relationship with them. And he says, where there was, after, he says, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a, and would you say these next two words with me? Jewish synagogue. Okay, now you know where I am, and now you got your out loud voice warmed up. Now say those two words with me one more time. Jewish, it's important. Because what we're about to see is a pattern that Paul is going to establish when he showed up to Thessalonica, just like he had in Philippi, you know the very first thing he did? He went to, say those two words with me, a, you guys are smart. See? Now watch what happens in the next verse, because you would think, well, maybe this was just a, you know, maybe this was just a, a, an outlier. Was that really what he regularly did? Well, why don't you read these next few words with me out loud? One, two, three, four words with me. Say it with me. As was his custom. This is what he did. When he showed up in the city, he went to say those two words with me, a, you guys are on it. That's what he kept doing in every single city. Now watch this. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue. Now why would he go to the Jewish synagogue? It said that he went there for three Sabbaths or for three different weeks. And what was his, what was his message? It said he reasoned with them from the scriptures. But what was his message? His message was he was explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. Watch this. This Jesus, Paul said, I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. It's sort of like Rick said a while ago. He just made the main thing the main thing. And he walked in with these people who were practicing religious activities all of the time. And he said, remember this. Jesus rose from the dead. And remember this. Jesus is the Messiah. Now he would take all of the Torah, he would take all of the Old Testament, and he would reason with them through all the prophetic uh, scriptures to come to the obvious conclusion that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. Jesus did rise from the dead. He is your Savior and Lord. Big, big message that's easy to lose track of. Profound message that's easy to get distracted from. Now, here's what I want you to see. Paul, as he goes down the side of, of this map, we'll put the map back up there and I want you to see it again. He's gonna go to Philippi, he's gonna go to a synagogue. He's gonna go to Thessalonica, he's gonna go to a synagogue. He's gonna go to Berea in verse, I think, 13, and he's gonna go to a synagogue. And then he's gonna go all the way down to Athens and guess where he's gonna go? A synagogue. Right out of the gate, he goes to a synagogue. Now here's the pattern that I want you to see all throughout the second trip of Paul, this pattern he continued to repeat. He'd go to a new town, then he would go to the synagogue and preach Jesus, and some would believe and some wouldn't, and those who wouldn't believe would eventually kick him out of the town. He would dust himself off, and he'd repeat the process in the next town. He'd go to a new town, 
He'd preach Jesus in the synagogue. He'd get kicked out of the town. And then he'd go to the next town. He'd preach Jesus in the synagogue. And he'd eventually get kicked out of town. Paul was sort of like single-minded in his approach to sharing this Jesus. And he gets all the way to Athens with this repeated pattern. And now we're finally here to Paul's most famous message. And it's in no uh, obscure place. It's in the city of Athens. And I want you to see what he says because here's what we're all wondering. Yeah, but what about those who are busy in faith activities and sometimes we feel like something's missing? Paul's once and for all going to address it. And of all places, Athens, 2,000 years ago. Look down at verse 19 as we pick up his message. It says, while Paul was waiting, he's waiting now for uh, Timothy, who he picked up early in chapter 16, and for Silas, his teammate, to come from Berea to join him there in Athens. And while he's waiting, it says, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. And so he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day, with those who happened to be there. Now, if you're ever wondering, should I be sharing Jesus out there to coworkers or should I be bringing coworkers here to share Jesus with them here? What Paul just displayed is it's both and. It's not either or, right? Because Jesus is the main thing. We make him the main thing in every conversation and we use every opportunity that we can to bring him to the synagogue or to the church for us, a place of faith where we can share Jesus. This is Paul's method and I think it's a great method to follow. Is any chance we get to share Jesus? We share Jesus. But here's the question. Why did he keep going to the synagogue? I would have thought he would have just exclusively focused on the marketplace. But Paul's beginning to be on to something that I think I and we lose sight of. And that is people of faith activity struggle with something missing. And here's what I just want to be real honest with, with, with all of us here today. I suspect a lot of us here today struggle with this exact same thing. And when you lay down at night, you know it's there but you may not feel comfortable talking about it. Well, today's the day we're going to talk about it out loud. And I'm just going to trust the Holy Spirit to work in your heart and you and the Lord can have a conversation at the end of the service. So I want to invite my wife up and I'm going to ask her to share. And this is the curse of being married to the pastor is when part of her story matches your message, you say at the last minute, hey, would you come up and just share that? So would you welcome Ginger and her, her willingness to do this today? So Ginger, you born, or not born, I guess, but you were raised at the church. And at your senior year of high school, something happened. Tell us about that. Yeah, so 30 years ago, I was about to begin my senior year in high school, and I was at church on a Sunday morning. I had just come from youth group and was going into the main service. And um, sitting on the, the typical youth side, and my pastor, Brother Brillhart, who is in heaven now, started the message. And somewhere along the way, I just started feeling something inside. And, you know, maybe it's, it's similar to maybe what a panic attack feels like or an anxiety attack, but something, my heart started racing, and I thought, man, something's, something's not right. Something's going on. And I just kept thinking, wow, this, this is different. This is not 
a typical response I have during a Sunday morning service. And, and what was it that you were realizing in that moment? What was it that you sort of came to awareness? Yeah, and I don't know what the words were, what the message was about that day, but I had come to the conclusion that I don't think I'm saved. And that was just a, a, a kind of a, a stark reality of like, wow, what, where did that come from? And it's not like that was your first Sunday in church. No, I mean, from the outside looking in, um, I, was, I wasn't born in church, but I was probably there as soon as I could get there with my parents. You know, looking on the outside, you would say my family was a Christian family. My dad was a deacon. My mom was a Sunday school teacher. We were always at church. Every time the doors were open, literally, I think we were there. And so everybody would be probably say, hey, that, that's a Christian family. I was involved. I served uh, along with my parents. I served uh, as I got old enough to do that myself and just thought I was a Christian. I went to youth camp. I did everything right. I was checking the boxes. And then as a result of that day, what decision did you make? What happened at the end of that service? So at the church I attended, we always would give an invitation, which means at the end of the service, it was a time for you to come to the front, you know, pray, uh, ask for help uh, in an area of your life. And we had um, the people down in the front. And I just remember, uh, you know, that hymn started and I thought, wow, I gotta go, I gotta go take care of this. So I remember walking down the aisle, going to the man that was down at the front, and I literally looked him in the eye and goes, I don't think I'm saved. And probably caught him off guard, you know, watching me grow up in church. So he directed me to a sweet lady that's now in heaven, Miss Frances Sample. She took me back to one of the offices. And for me, I had grown up in church. I had gone through the Awana program. I had memorized verses. I mean, I knew all the Sunday school stories. And so she opened her Bible and started telling me and, you know, reading scripture that I had memorized. And I think for me, I knew it in my head and I knew, you know, kind of the, the, the procedures of, you know, how to get saved but I never had really made it a heart decision. And I just know that God was, was working on my heart that day and we prayed and I'll never forget the feeling when I walked out of the church that day. It was a burden that was lifted off my shoulders and I'll never forget that feeling. I just wanted to shout going, I just got saved. Like I got that taken care of. I know I'm gonna live forever with, with Jesus in heaven and I will never forget that feeling. It's something that you won't ever forget. That's awesome. Thank you, baby. Thank you. One of the quotes that I, I came across this week from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, the biggest mistake a pastor can make is to assume the salvation of his own congregation. Jesus made a similar quote, and we're going to reference that later in the day. But it dawned on me this week, and as Ginger and I were talking about this, that a lot of people have a good relationship. In fact, it's very possible to have a good relationship with the church and have no relationship with Christ. And this, I think, is what was dawning on Paul. And though he could have gone to the marketplace first, he said, you know what? I bet there are a lot of people who have a great relationship with the synagogue, but they don't have any relationship with the Savior, and I'm going to go tell them. And so he went town after town. That's where he started, because he knows what it's like to have faith activity, where you're involved in all the things around the church, but yet something's missing. And I want you to see 
the message that he preached to that people that day. Because here's what I believe. If the Apostle Paul were here today in 2021 in Plano, Texas, you know he'd come here if he were around, right? I think this is the message he would preach. Let's look at it together. In Acts chapter 17, let's pick the story back up. So he reasoned with these these, uh, folks in the synagogue. And then look at verse 18. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. So now all of a sudden we have this awkward but intense and meaningful conversation. Some say the Epicureans may have, uh, may have followed Aristotle. Some said the Stoics may have followed Plato. We don't know. But at the end of the day, these are people who were uh, philosophic thinkers debating big issues. Now look at the next verse. Some of them asked, referencing Paul, what is this babbler trying to say? By the way, if you want to come up to me after the service, that's probably not the best compliment, even if that's what you think. What is this babbler trying to say? I don't know what Paul thought to that, but he kept his cool because he's more mature than me. Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So he comes to the synagogue to preach about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him, and this all of a sudden is where the scene gets very dramatic. They took Paul to a meeting of the Areopagus. Now I want to show you a picture because that may or may not mean anything to you, but modern day uh, Athens, if you look at the bottom right there, you see what is often referred to the Areopagus or Mars Hill as it's referred to often in other translations. The Areopagus would have been simply a public place for discourse. It would have been, a, maybe it's a city hall or a park for us, but there it would have been a much more dramatic scene where there would be great ideas debated. And then you can overlook and you can see across the way from the bottom right Areopagus, you can see all the way over to the Acropolis. And there you can see all kinds of governmental and legal important decisions that would typically be made. Again, we're talking Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, when the bottom right where Paul was actually taken, he was invited to come and have this platform where he could share big ideas. And so this is an incredible moment in history as the church of Jesus Christ is just beginning. And Paul is taken up here to Mars Hill or to the Areopagus. And I want you to see from that dramatic scene what Paul has to say. There they they said to Paul, okay, now may we know this new teaching, this strange teaching that you are presenting, you are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and, and we would like to know what they mean. And maybe you're here and all of this sounds strange to you. Just know you're in good company. And then it it kind of gives this parentheses statement that is pretty comical. All the Athenians or uh, yeah, and the foreigners who lived there spent time, their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas, right? And they, they considered it very productive. And historically, we would say it was productive, the depth of thought and philosophy that was being developed. And then Paul, I love this, he stood up. Imagine the dramatic scene there, this historic place, the people who've shared ideas there. And Paul now steps up and he begins to speak. And it says, people of Athens, Paul said, or yeah, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are, and say these next two words with me, very religious. 
He recognizes the activity of their faith. He recognizes the commitment of, the, of their faith, the discipline of their faith. He says, I can see your behavior that you are committed to this faith. In the same way, I think Paul, if he were here, would say, look, it is possible. It is absolutely possible for you to have a good relationship with the church and have no relationship with Christ. I see the very religious activities, and they are good things. Paul's recognizing how good they are. But now he's about to say, I suspect for many of you something is missing. So look at the verses he begins. He says, for I walked around, he kind of gives them background, and I looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found, he said, an altar with the inscription, or yeah, the inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. You're worshiping, but there's something hollow. There is something missing. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. And from here on out, Paul gives what I believe is his most famous sermon. And I think you could break it down into three simple points. The first point would be verses uh, 24 through 28. I'm gonna take that next chunk, I wanna read it, but if you like to write in your Bible like I do, I would write over in the margin, God's the author, because that's what he's about to reveal. God is the author. Look what it says. Paul, again, in this dramatic scene, talking to all these uh, philosophers who are wondering about this new idea of the gospel. Look where Paul starts. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives himself he, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. He continues to talk about who this God is. He says, from one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history. Why do you live when you, where you live? Paul just revealed it. He appointed the time of history in which we would live and the boundaries of their lands. He goes on to say, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and they would find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Isn't that good news? Paul is trying to declare the grandness of God and yet the closeness of God. Then he goes on to say, for in him, this God who is the author, we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. God, Paul says, is the author of it all. You love the sunset. You talk about the sunrise. Don't worship the created. He said, worship the creator. He says, God is the author of it all. You talk about the deep thought that you have and the ideas that you have. You're worshiping the created. He said, worship the creator who gave you those thoughts. Don't worship the body and how complex and beautiful it is. Worship, don't worship the created. Worship the creator. He says, God is the author of it all. Point number one. And now from this dramatic scene, he goes on to point number two, which is just in the next two verses, verses 29 and verses 30. And here's the plot twist that is needed for every good story, but it essentially makes sense in the gospel. And here he says, sin is the problem. 
God is the author. Sin is the problem. Look what he says. Therefore, verse 29, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to, say this next word with me, repent. Now, that's not a word any of us are comfortable with, but it's a word that Paul is relentless in sharing because the reality is God is the author. Sin is the problem. And guess who sin is the problem for? Everyone. Because Paul would later go on to say those very verses that, that, that Miss Sample shared with Ginger those 30 years ago that Ginger had memorized. It's Paul who would go on to say, for the wages of sin is death. He's the one who would say, all have sinned and come short of God's glory. In other words, sin is what divides us. If you wonder why we're angry, why we are divided, why there is evil in the world, why you keep not living up to your own standard, why you have regrets, why you have people who've let you down and why you've let others down, the reality is it is sin. And Paul says, I think we need to be reminded that sin is the problem and we are all sinners. We don't like that word. Paul says the only solution is to realize there must be repentance on our part. None of us walk into this world perfect. None of us leave this world perfect. We have sin. And so he says God is the author and sin is the problem. You keep trying to make that political party the problem. You make that political party the problem. You keep making the way people view that pandemic the problem or they view that the problem. He's like, no, no, no. It's sin. You know the greater virus? It is sin. It's been here forever. It'll be here forever. And all of us only have one solution. And that's what Paul's trying to get at is we are finding our eyes fixed on the wrong problem. The problem is sin. He says God is the author. Sin is the problem. And as we're here in 2021, I think we have distractions that are different from theirs, but they are still the same distractions that are trying to cause us to believe that something other than our enemy and sin is the problem. And Paul reminds us today, it's sin. I have it in me, you have it in you, and it is ultimately the problem in our world It's ultimately the problem in all of our relationships. It's ultimately the problem in the way that I think, in the way that I act. It's sin. God is the author. Sin is the problem. And sin creates a gap between me and my God, my creator. And there's something missing that I can't fix. And that's point number three. And I love this point because without this point, we would be hopeless. And most of our world lives without this final point. And that's why there's so much hopelessness. Look at verse 31 through the rest of the chapter, 31 through 34. There's a third point, and he says, Jesus is the solution. God's the author. Sin is the problem. Jesus is the solution. Look what he says in verse 31. For he has set a day... When he, God, will judge the world, he will judge our sin, with justice by the man, and for the first time, he introduces Jesus. You know the whole time he couldn't wait to get to this part. But he knew he needed to give some background, sort of that pre-gospel background, and then this is the moment where he goes in for the solution. Justice by the man that God has appointed or ordained He, Jesus, 
has given proof of, proof of this to everyone by raising Jesus from the dead. He can't talk without talking about the resurrection. And then he goes on to say, and when they heard this, the resurrection of the dead, I want you to see the two ways people reacted. And guess what? This is the way we still react when we hear this story. This is the way when you share the story, people will react to you. When they heard the story of the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered and others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. And then it says, at that, Paul left the council there at the Areopagus and some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. They believed that God is the author. They believed that sin is the problem. They believed that Jesus is the solution. And among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. If Paul were here, I believe he would once again say, hey, look, LifePoint, I know that some of you have been coming here for a while. I know that some of you are probably serving on a team. Some of you go to a group. Some of you have been part of this church for a while. You sort of know the lay of the land. You know some of the people in here. And you, like Ginger, you know some of the verses. And Paul would still say, it's great to love a church, but do you know Jesus? Have you given your life to him? And let me tell you why this burdens me, and I think burdens many of us. Because Jesus had that same concern. At the end of his Sermon on the Mount, the most famous message that Jesus ever preached, at the very end, chapter 7, he says this phrase that just haunts, haunts me. Jesus said, many who say, Lord, Lord, will not enter the kingdom of heaven. He said, many who say, Lord, Lord, will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Instead, he said, I will say to them on that day, depart from me. I never knew you. So I'm really glad you're here. But it's heaven that I'm concerned about today. And there's a movie clip that we just, uh, I was reminded of this week, or I discovered this week, Isaac had pointed it out to me. It's from a movie called Open Range. And there's nothing like being close to something and never experiencing it for yourself. And I think this clip illustrates it very well. So watch this with me. It's possible to have a good relationship with the church and have no relationship with Christ. I just want to invite you to consider changing that today. As Ginger said, there was something that she knew in her head, it had yet to penetrate her heart. As PG often says, it's when the knowledge drops from our head to our heart. And I think for some of us here today, God is drawing you in and saying, hey, it's time for it to drop from your head to your heart. And I just want to give you an opportunity. And maybe you're new here today. I don't know which side of the counter you're on, referencing that scene. And maybe you're walking toward the counter and you're new and you're saying, you know what, I've just discovered something new today. I'm all in. I just want to try it right now. And we want to give you a chance to make that decision. But maybe you're on the other side of that counter, like the clerk in that scene. And you've been near it all along, but you've never experienced it for yourself. And we want to give you a chance today 
to make the greatest decision of your life. And the reason why Paul was so dogmatic about getting to the next city because he wanted them to know Jesus for themselves. We want you to know Jesus for yourself. So here's what I want us to do as we close today. I want to invite everyone in this room to just lower your head and close your eyes. And I want to give you a chance to just have a private moment between you and your creator. And I want to lead you in a prayer that you can use these words or not use these words. There's nothing magic in the words, but it's a decision to say, I am going to once and for all invite Jesus into my life. I want to give my life to him and make him my Savior and Lord. And this is going to be personal for me today. If that's you, I want to pray a prayer right now and invite you to just say this after me in your own heart. God, I know that I am a sinner. And Lord, I come and I just repent today. Sin is the problem. Lord, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross to pay for my sins. And then you miraculously rose him from the dead to prove once and for all he is God. So today I just confess him as Jesus, as my Savior and my Lord. I commit the rest of my life to give everything to you, Lord. May my personal relationship begin today. And may you be the boss of my life. I make you my Savior and Lord today. And it's in the risen name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Now, here's what I want to ask all of you to do, just so that we can make everyone feel as comfortable as possible. Would everyone that can pull your phone out? Go ahead and pull your phone out. And if you'll pull the phone out, open it up, and click on the camera app. And in front of you, there is a QR code on the pew. There's also a QR code on the screen. And would you all just go ahead and click that, download that, just like you would at a restaurant, just click that, tap that. And then you've accessed our digital bulletin. So I've just educated you on how to do that. How cool is that? You can just read along, access it, do whatever you want with it. But for those of you who made a decision to give your life to Christ, here's what I want to ask you to do. You'll see there's a connect with us option if you'll click that. And then if you let us know that you decided to follow Jesus, you can let us know you want to join a group, you can let us know you want to get baptized, whatever step you want to take. But for those of you who made a decision to follow Jesus, would you let us know? Here's why. We want to pray for you, and we want to celebrate with you. The greatest decision you could ever make is to follow Jesus personally. And we want to know about it. So if you'll let us know. Now, on your way out today, we're going to give you two pieces of chocolate you were hankering for chocolate weren't you oh come on now you're going to clap for that that's fine that's fine one is for you to enjoy and the other is for God to reveal someone to you who's yet to taste and see that Jesus is good and yet to know God and that he would reveal that to you and you would be praying for him amen let's all stand Let's say our memory verse together and then we'll close with prayer. Paul was so committed, we see it again as we are gonna end missionary trip number two next week. This is the commitment, this is the epitaph of his life. What an epitaph it is. Say it with me, Acts chapter 20, verse 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me 
the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace, Acts 20, 24. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that your spirit continues to move and draw people to you. May there be more miracles yet to take place. God, thank you for how you're moving here. We just want to thank you and praise you for it. God, may it be the story of our life to share Jesus with those around us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope today's message was an encouragement to you. And if you'd like a little more information about our church, just visit us on our website at lifepointplano.org.